to The Straight and Marrow, a show that discusses all things allogeneic bone marrow transplant, from pre-transplant considerations to survivorship, using experiences of healthcare providers, patients and carers with current evidence to keep it straight. We are Yvonne, Ming and Alex, nurse consultants and nurse practitioners who are here to keep discussions on The Straight and Marrow. episode of The Straight and Marrow, we're going to talk about transplant-related fatigue. We have Dr. Elizabeth Pearson with us today. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi. Elizabeth has worked at Peter Mac since 1996 in roles including occupational therapist, department head, and now as a health services researcher. Her main goal in all roles has been to help people with cancer live their lives as well as possible, for as long as possible. Dr. Pearson's recent research explored the use of evidence-based guidelines for the common problem of cancer-related fatigue. In 2021, her projects include developing a strategy for assisting informal caregivers at PETAMAC and establishing cognitive behavioural therapy for people with fatigue. Wow, Elizabeth, that sounds absolutely perfect for this podcast. Welcome. Yeah, thank you very much. I just have a couple of questions that I've prepared, but we can just launch off topics as we go. Yeah. Can you explain to me the difference between the concept of being tired and fatigue? Yes, well, I think the the main difference is that tiredness goes away with adequate rest, whereas fatigue is something that's not always relieved by rest and it is a deeper sort of sensation than, than just tiredness. So it tends to be more persistent. That's probably the main distinction that I would make in just in the terms. Yeah. Mm. How, how common is it for people? People with cancer, during their treatment, at least half would be experience actual fatigue mm. that's related to cancer or cancer treatment. And then probably after their treatment, up to a third of people do experience persistent fatigue. And that would also include people who are on long-term therapies as well. A common question, like when you say persistent fatigue, how long? How long is this going to go on for? Yeah, that's a really good question because it's very individual. The first three months after, I'll call it solid tumour type treatment, would be where, where you get the maximum recovery. But it's not always back to normal at that point. And quite often there are other things that are actually keeping the fatigue going. Things like other symptoms can, are really highly linked with fatigue. For example, pain. If people have pain, uh, they're mm. more likely to be fatigued and if it's not adequately managed. If people are depressed or have anxiety, then that, that's also associated with fatigue. And then you've got other symptoms like anemia that can be persistent as well, breathlessness for some people. Mm. So there's the symptoms. But then there's also lifestyle factors while they didn't necessarily cause the fatigue, they might actually be contributing to the fatigue being ongoing. So they might be things like not doing very much physical activity, poor diet, uh, avoiding activities, and also the way you think about and approach things. Mm. So or doing too much or too little activity. Mm. Does it also depend on 
how much fatigue people were experiencing prior to their cancer diagnosis because, of course, people don't come to us as a blank canvas. That's they exactly, come to yeah. us with a range of symptoms that may be pre-existing yeah. and so it's not a moment in time, is it? No, no. Well, often people, when they're diagnosed, they already have fatigue. And that might be to do with the cancer itself, or it could be to do with another condition that's unrelated to their cancer. There are people in the community that have got sort of chronic fatigue and MS and other medical conditions that do cause fatigue. And certainly those people that have fatigue when they're diagnosed, it's not going to improve through cancer treatment, let's say. And so they're the people we really want to get to early to try and control some of the other things that that might be increasing their fatigue. I know when I see patients in the outpatient setting after their bone marrow transplant that fatigue is one of the most common complaints mm. and it's also, you know, they also have got quite a lot of medications which can contribute to that as well, maybe not sleeping very well, getting up to the toilet in the middle of the night all the time, mm. eating poorly, nauseated. So what you're saying really rings a bell for me. Mm. And, and actually, you know, you mentioned sleep. If people have interrupted sleep, if they sleep a lot during the day and not really at night time, then that's, you know, that, that can really affect how tired you are. They're also things that can be modified. Mm. So good. can we treat fatigue? We can. We can. Unfortunately, there is no medicine. For fatigue at this point. Or fortunately. Or fortunately. <laughs> yeah, because that would have been dished out. And in fact, people would have been screened for fatigue if there was a medicine that you could give out. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons there's no medicine is that the actual cause for cancer-related fatigue is really not well defined. Mm. There's been several theories about it and a number of them point to cytokines, being a substance called cytokines, mm -hmm. being very influential but it's not really been proven one way or the other so there have been a, oh, hundreds of drug trials that have measured fatigue as well but none of them have come up with anything that is really helpful in mm. a long-term sense. When you say measure fatigue how do you rate your or someone else's fatigue? One of the I think one of the barriers to getting fatigue management off the ground is how we talk about fatigue and if, if people just say oh they're really tired that's a concept that everyone can understand mm. everyone has daily tiredness at the end of the day so it's not really doesn't sound that abnormal um, but when you talk about how it's affecting you how long it's been going for and some of those other sort of qualitative things a lot of people um so the, and the symptoms that go along with it, which I'll talk about in a minute. But we like to, the, the projects that we've been doing are, are looking at sort of mild, moderate and severe levels of fatigue. And it's really about how much it's influencing your daily life. If you are so fatigued that, you know, you can do very little, then that is a severe form of fatigue. Mm. And that actually does happen to some people. And you probably will see that with some inpatients um, while they're undergoing treatment, you'll yeah. see them in that state, a bit less so once they're home, but still there are some people who can't really leave the house, they're so tired. They get breathless when they're getting dressed and they need a rest after they have a shower, that sort of thing. So that, they are quite significant influences on life. 
people with mild fatigue feel a bit more tired, but they can still really do everything that they need to do. People with moderate fatigue find that it's noticeable and upsetting, and they do less daily physical activities and their work may be affected by things like not being able to concentrate that well, you know, getting just really tired with the tra travelling to work and things like that. And people with severe fatigue are very tired every day. They often feel like they need to sit down or rest. Doing daily tasks is really difficult. And these are the people who, who you say, oh, we should be exercising. It seems impossible to those people yeah. with severe fatigue. So I think if we can start talking more sort of functional terms, more descriptive terms, not just the word fatigue, I think yeah. it's, it's more meaningful. And they're certainly easier to measure, aren't they? They are. They are. You can, you can tell that. Now, you can rate fatigue on a scale of 0 to 10, much like you would with pain, and that's very common in a lot of the symptom scales. But still with those scales, we can divide that up into mild, moderate and severe level, whichever way you choose to, to rate it. It works. <laughs> but that's, that, that makes so much more sense, though, Elizabeth, because often we ask people to rate their fatigue, but as healthcare professionals, we don't really know what to do with that number. Yeah. You know, it is a yeah. symptom or a physical and, you know, emotional, psychosocial feeling we're not adequately trained to manage. And so when we're given a numerical figure, it's, oh, what do we do what, with that? So what does that mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, what does it mean? Yeah. So having something functional. Yes. We developed some screening tools that had the numeric, those descriptors that I just read out, and also some little pictogram thingies that had people sitting in the chair or standing up or juggling balls in yeah. the air. That People really relate very differently to it, and I think it's important for people to figure out how they can describe their fatigue that actually means something to their health professional, but also to the people around them, rather than just saying, oh, I'm very tired today. How can we modify this? So you say malnutrition, we could get dietitians mm. involved, yeah. encourage diet. Yeah. Well, I think the first step is to actually identify it and name it and almost categorise it to say, look, okay, you have moderate fatigue, these are the approaches that we need to do that. People who don't have any fatigue can also do things that can prevent fatigue and mm. they're in the best position to perhaps increase their physical activity, attend to their diet, ah, their that's mood so interesting. and things like mm. that. So we can do things even before mm. people get fatigue yeah. and that is probably the most effective, it, right? It's very effective. Because the thing about cancer treatment, and particularly bone marrow transplants, is that they're a long and arduous and very intensive period of your life. People aren't able to continue their lifestyle as normal. They're away from the world. And so really from day one, probably mm. even just finding out what we can do for those people to prevent fatigue, identify if they already have fatigue so that we can be at the right level. But also partly, you know, things like exercise, which we know are really good, you need to match it to the level of fatigue. Telling someone, you know, that they need to do 30 minutes of moderate exercise a day when they're really just lying in hospital bed, that's not going to be very useful no. to them. So we need to find ways to keep them moving around try and maintain as much physical status as you can during that time and then gradually increase it once they've got through that 
I think goal setting is really helpful. Um, having a bit of a routine too, because people find that fatigue fluctuates during the day and across the week. So trying to use the periods of time where you have a bit more energy to do something a little bit more physical, not overdo it because mm. there is a tendency for some people to really use those times and they try and get everything done and then they what we call this is a boom and bust approach where they do so much and then they take a long time to recover from it. Yeah. So we try and, you know, spread things out, alternate between doing something a bit more active and, and a bit less active, say, for, you know, watching the telly or doing your knitting or, you know, talking on the phone, although that's very tiring for some people. Even having a shower when you're really fatigued takes a lot of energy. So sort of having a bit of a plan for your day, mm. And some goals that are within your capability, I think, is is really important. Um, not to think that you're going to be able to do everything. When you find out at the end of the day, well, I really didn't achieve all of those things, it's quite, you know, distressing, isn't it? Mm. The boom and bust, we see that commonly mm. in our patients mm. post-transplant, mm. not only in the early period post-transplant when Alex sees patients, but also in long-term follow-up, that mm. description of, you know, I felt really good last Wednesday, so I did this, that, this, that, this, that, and then Thursday I was completely knocked yeah. out. Yeah. Mm. And then Friday I started to recover, so yeah. I did something small and mm. then by Saturday I felt okay. Yeah. So yeah. is that what you mean by That's exactly what I mean by bust. The bust is the is the day after mm. and sometimes it's even longer depending on <laughs> how much you boom. <laughs> the the bigger the boom, the bigger the bust. <laughs> it can often. really knock people's confidence. It, they it feel, is devastating. It is devastating because yeah. they've had an attempt at being mm active and doing mm. things that make them feel like they're contributing and, and then, then they feel that they're really back before the April you know yeah. they're, they're right back where they started yeah. so that's why it's important to sort of be aware of that and almost think of the energy that you have as a finite amount that you can use somehow over the day you can increase that gradually but it takes a bit of a takes time to do that because your body's taking a big hit during this whole thing and the sorts of people that are really good to help with that are um, exercise physiologists who can assess you where you are at that time if you you know what you can do now and then develop a bit of a plan as to how you can gradually increase your physical fitness over that time again looking at your diet and sort of are you consuming enough energy People really underestimate their nutritional requirements and also their hydration requirements because, you know, if your cells are a bit deflated Mm -hmm. because they're not not nice, fat, juicy, (laughs) well-hydrated cells, they don't work as well. So that's another Mm. cause of fatigue. So all of those things together. And so the approach is not just to say, oh, well, go and do exercise. Let's look at what symptoms you've got that might be contributing to your fatigue, such as pain, as I mentioned before, insomnia, all of those things that that can really add to your fatigue. And let's see if we can modify some of those first of all. And then you might be able to reduce your fatigue a little bit so that you can do a bit more activity and exercise, which is really going to be the thing that helps you recover. Is cancer fatigue always possible to get over? 
That's a, a really interesting question, and I don't know. I couldn't say 100%, but I think for most people it does take effort. Yeah. And the problem is when you're lacking in energy, it's hard to find the motivation and the effort. So if you've got someone to support you through it mm. and help you, encourage you along the way, I think you're probably going to have a greater success than if you're just trying to do it on your own and you kind of go, oh, well, look, I've been trying this for so long and I don't feel like I'm really improving. What's the point? And sometimes that might mean going to a group activity class or something like that so that you, if you don't have someone in your family or friends sort of circles that could help you through it, joining in with, with a community walking group, something like that that kind of just keeps you you going. The other thing that actually has some really good evidence behind it, but unfortunately it's not really readily available here yet, <laughs> that's what we're working on now, is cognitive behaviour therapy, which is... Ooh, that sounds interesting. Tell us more. Yeah, so it's a psychological therapy that looks at the, the connection between your thoughts, your feelings and your behaviours because often the way we think means that we behave in a certain way. Like, for example, of, oh, you know, I, I'm, I'm feeling really tired. I can't be making any plans to go out, so I won't do anything sort of thing. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's really working from within you, mm. finding your own resources to be able to help yourself. Like an adjustment of expectations? Yeah, it is. It's a little bit about changing the way you think changing the way you behave and then that sort of flowing onto the feelings that go on with all of that. So the project that we're working on at the moment is developing a program that involves, there's two components, one's a self-help booklet where people work through it over a few weeks. That is an introduction to this approach. If at the end of that time they don't feel like they've improved enough or we can go on to some individual therapy with a psychologist. Because a lot of people are able to do these self-help things if mm. they have the right type of guide. So that's what we're working on at the moment. And later in the year, uh, we'll be looking for people to try it out. That's pretty exciting. That's very, very exciting. exciting. Will you be looking for people from a particular population of patients? Are you starting? Yeah, at the moment we're going to be opening it up to anybody, but because it's really just a bit of a feasibility yes. testing sort of thing. Yeah. But we're particularly looking at some of our haematology patients being involved, hopefully, because we know that there are a lot of, of people who do struggle with this after their treatment's finished. And also some of those people who are on long-term immunotherapies and mm -hmm. things like that that need to, a bit of help to, yeah. you know, get themselves going. I just wanted to convey a couple of things. Mm. This is pretty normal for people, isn't it? Yes. And like, this oh. is happening yeah, it's to normal. our hematology cancer patients. Yeah. They're not, I guess I want to say, they're not alone. No, no, they're certainly it must not. Be, but quite isolating. It's very isolating. It's very isolating. People feel that they're alone often. And be, because they're not able to do as much as they normally could, that isolates them mm. as well. And also it, it does affect people's work if they're trying to work after their treatment or through their treatment sometimes. It affects their output and how often... One thing I must mention is the cognitive effect of fatigue. So at higher levels of fatigue... People talk about chemo brain mm. or brain fog. 
that is actually that also, that occurs at higher levels of fatigue, and sometimes it's sort of misunderstood as something else. But it, it is it's a symptom of high levels of fatigue. I have definitely felt that post night shift. Yes, but if someone is experiencing these symptoms or wants to talk about preventing these symptoms, mm. any tips? Any tips? Well, I think the first thing is to find out some information. Now, Cancer Council's got some really good information leaflets on cancer-related fatigue, and I think they apply to anyone, so the bone marrow transplant patients Mm. as well as other types of cancer. It's really principles. There are some that are more detailed and there's some that contain a bit less detail, and depending on your level of capacity at the time, because people who are fatigued they don't want to read through reams and Fair reams enough. of things. Yeah. So, which is why a podcast is really good because people <laughs> can, can listen to you it. You can listen to it lying down even. Exactly. <laughs> or going for a gentle walk. Yes, yeah. exactly. But you can talk to nursing staff, yeah. medical staff, occupational therapists. Yes. Physiotherapists Physios. as well. They, they know, know about those sorts of things. But, um, but exercise physiology is becoming a big thing in the management of fatigue as well as other health aspects of recovering from cancer. So they've got a big interest in it as well. But There's a lot of help out there's there. There's a lot of help out there. Um, there's probably peop- a lot of people that don't feel that they know enough, mm. health professionals, about fatigue. So sometimes GPs will not be really too sure about what to do about cancer-related fatigue. So another thing that we have already at the moment is some online training for people, for health professionals, hoping to make that a bit more broadly available at the moment. It's you know it's a bit hard to access, but we've, we've got it for it, and some external health professionals have oh, been good. doing the training, which is really good. That's um, great, and perhaps we can get that from mm. you and attach it to mm. this podcast yes. so we can advertise it more widely yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. In summary, it's normal. It's different from being tired. We can fix it. Talk to your health professionals. Yeah. And I think the other thing is don't be discouraged if it takes a while. Mm. I think you need to expect that it is going, if you have been quite fatigued for a period of time, it's going to take a long time to recover and you just need to stick at it, get support, eat and drink well, follow um, some basic principles of lifestyle really and managing your symptoms that might be affecting fatigue as well and also if you're on a lot of medications have a medication review just because there are some medications that will make you feel more fatigued mm. that's a good yeah, point. that's a really good point yeah. yes mm. yeah, yeah. Mm. particularly some of the pain relief medications can mm. have those big impact with drowsiness yes mm. exactly mm. well thank you so much Elizabeth, thank you so much for coming. I've really learned a lot and I'm looking forward to learning more. Yes, well, it's been my pleasure. I, it's wonderful to share the knowledge that I've gained through yeah. all the work that I've done um, in this sort of format and with you, wonderful nurses. Thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for listening and hope you've enjoyed the show as much as we have. If you have any queries for the Straight and Married team or suggestions for future shows, please email us at straightandandmarrow at gmail.com. Although our team are experienced healthcare providers, we are unable to give individual medical advice. 
If you have a medical query, please speak to your treating team. See you next time at the Straight and Marrow and don't forget to subscribe to receive podcast updates.